0: It is I, President Donald J. Trump, and I welcome you to this newest episode of the This Week International podcast. I am President Trump, and I am with my co-host, Andy. Now, I just wanted to say that a lot of things we're going to go over in this podcast that You probably don't know because you're a member of the liberal media and the radical left. And I also wanted to say that I won the election by a lie. The election was totally stolen from me. And I wouldn't be doing this stupid podcast if I still had the power to be president. But sleepy Joe Biden and his woke liberal Democrats took that away from me. Now, Andy, what do you want to talk about with our stories? Uh, I
1: think you should do one of your stories first. Hold on. Where did he go? Where Where did he go? I think he left the call. Yeah, probably. Yeah.
2: Well, unfortunately, Donald Trump left the call, which means I'm going to have to do a story. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't do I can't do a story as important as any of the Trump stories, but, you know, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Don't give me a hard time there, you know. (laughs) So we'll start with the story about Portugal. So Portugal's Prime Minister, uh, Costa, he won a majority in this most recent snap election. And he is the leader of the center-left Socialist Party. And... The Socialist Party is more like the Social Democratic Party, which is kind of confusing because the Social Democratic Party is actually a center-right party. It's not even Social Democratic. But um, if you look at the results, you find this interesting. A party that – by the way, we did talk about this um, election a while ago, but this is a, that was before it happened. And uh, you'll notice that a party that did fairly well or – At least did all right was a party called Chega, which means enough in Portuguese, and it's a far right, um, right wing populist party. And I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, that has reached Portugal because Portugal was fairly immune to that for a while. But uh, if I look at the results, uh, Antonio Costa, he got forty one point seven percent of the vote. And won 117 seats, which is one over the uh, um, amount needed for a majority. So he has a two-seat majority. Um, Rui Rio of the Social Democrats, he gained 1.5% of the popular vote. So he's at 29.3%. But he actually lost three seats. Uh, Andre Ventura of Cheg, Chega, Chega. I always want to say Chego. Of Chega got 7.2% of the vote and gained 11 seats. He was previously at one, now he's at 12. The um, Liberal Initiative political party, which is a liberal party, they they have 5% of the vote and eight seats. The Communist Party, led by Geronimo de Sousa, has six seats and 4.4% of the vote. They lost six seats. The Left Block, which is a Democratic Socialist Party, led by Katerina Martins, uh, they have five seats. They lost fourteen. They're at four point five percent of the popular vote. Inez um, Sousa Real of the People's Animals Nature Party, which is an environmentalist party, uh, they lost three seats. They're only at one. The Green Party, um, or uh, the Green Party of Portugal, which for them is known as Livre, um, it is holding steady with one seat. And then the um, Christian uh, Democratic Party there, which is called the People's Party, um, it lost five seats and now it has no seats. And it's at 1.6. But if you look at the map, um, the uh, Portuguese, um, the Portuguese electoral map, you'll see that the Socialist Party won every single district except for the island of Madeira, which is an island in the Atlantic Ocean. And it's kind of like the Hawaii of Portugal. It's probably the best way to put it.
1: But yeah. Anything to add? No, not really. Uh, in some ways, it sounds surprising that the socialist won, considering how a popular cost is. But yeah. that That's uh, definitely going to be interesting to see what goes on in uh, Portugal. Yeah, it will.
2: It will be interesting to see what goes on. And then um, there's not really much else to say about this. We'll see how the uh, election ends up um, turning out because technically there are still um, 0.87% of the votes to be counted, but I don't think it'll change anything. But it'll be interesting to see kind of the fallout from this election. I mean, he's obviously going to be sworn in, but we'll see what happens as far as legislation goes, and especially as you know, COVID is maybe beginning to wind down. There might be some more issues on the, uh, I guess, for the Prime Minister to deal with that aren't COVID related, but obviously you'll still have to deal with COVID, but there may be some other stuff too. So we'll see. Yes, we will.
1: Your story? Yeah, okay, so France is having a presidential election in less than 60 days. And uh, of course, Macron has not officially declared his uh, candidacy yet. But uh, there are there are a couple of candidates who are getting close to the um, number of signatures required from local elected officials in France to uh, become to become a French presidential candidate. Of course, in France, to to run for office, as I just said, you have to receive a certain number of signatures of people who support. Your run for French president before you can run for president. These are all local elected officials. So, of course, Macron has not. Uh, sorry, Macron is
0: <clears throat>
1: about the only one who has received the required number of signatures, I believe, as of February 3rd, of course, followed by one of his closest challengers, Valérie Patrice, so, of course, Mehraud, I mean, he's pretty well, well known. He, uh, there was a whole yellow vest thing. There's a whole, so there's been some controversial stuff with Muslims that's surrounded his presidency as well. Probably forced by the more right-wing parties in France. There are a couple other major candidates in this election, too. There is um, Nathalie Artaud of Le which is a, which, is, which means the workers struggle. They're a leftist party that never really does well. There's Francois Azzelino. No, he's from the popular Republican Union, and basically he's a relatively single issue guy. He just basically supports a basic platform of nationalism and distancing, distancing France from the United States. Of course, there, we kind of have a bit more than zero influence Yes, there's Nicolas dupont and Non. He's from a party called de the france They're like a right-wing party. They uh, generally don't really do well at French elections. They have one seat in the National Assembly. Of course, that is Enon himself. And he's pretty favorable candidate, so we'll skip him. Um, then there's Anne Hidalgo. Now, the French left has kind of been going through a bit of chaos, chaos as of recently because... A lot of the candidates just aren't seen as very viable. Currently, the lead candidate on the left for French president is, is uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon of La France Insoumise, or as you would call it in English, France Unbowed. He's a hardcore leftist candidate that has been into a lot of conspiracy theories. Of course, he's a bit controversial. Anyways, back to Anne Hidalgo. Anne Hidalgo is... The candidate for the French Socialist Party, which has really dropped in popularity as of recently, predominantly because their seat as too environmentalist. and he'd basically supports banning cars and not much more needs to be said. <laughs> then there is Yannick Jadot, the breed of the Green Party of France. At least that is the description of them. They are actually called Europe Ecology the Greens. And Judeau, of course, is there seems to be a relatively standard Green Party candidate. He is an environmentalist and humanitarian, presumably, that's self described. Or he was also a uh, key player in a large environmental debate that took place in France in 2008, that brings together their French politicians from all over the political spectrum. Moving right along, there's Jean LaSalle uh he we didn't skip because he's 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 kind of an opportunist he kind of runs and he's ran a lot of her french presidential elections but has really done well then of course there is Marine le pen who uh, made it to the runoff in the last presidential election in france versus mahron and she's known for being very far right her party the national rally has famously opposed islam or at least opposed publicly being Muslim and immigration should as well as all stereotypical far-right parties do. So, of course, she's more or less into economic protection and nationalism. I already discussed jean New Mélenchon. Then there is Valerie Patrice. Now, Valerie Patrice, I'm pretty sure I did not talk about her too fully yet. Valerie Patrice is the main candidate for French president for Les Républicains. That's France's main center-right party. She's seen as a try to appease all sides of the French right. She uh, takes some pretty hard lines on immigration, but on other things, she's seen as more centrist. So she, of course, she's tried to take votes from uh, some farther-right candidates like Marine Le Pen and Éric Zemmour, who we all discuss. As she is generally described as a conservative candidate. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of, a, kind of like a weird thing to say, considering she is is, uh, of the center-right, but that's just how they uh, describe her here. And she's currently president of one of the regional councils of one of France's, well, regions, uh, Ile-de-France. And when the Ile-de-France regional election, narrowly, her party is in government or say executive on the Wikipedia page. It is Les Republicans and Unions of Democrats and Independents, which is described as centrist liberal. So it appears Les Republicans is just under a majority in Ile de France with 102 of two and nine seats. And I don't really see any party, except for one I haven't heard of, but they're a liberal party. Uh, I can really steal too much of Ile de France's thunder. I mean, or at least in the regional elections, I, do not see, I don't really see a reason for that. So I think they legitimately did receive a, basically a minority of votes. I can read already stress Jean-Luc Mélenchon. And so I said Valerie Patrice is known for her big tent of the right stances. This is Philippe Poutou, who's known for being stereotypically French. He does not. He dresses up in, I don't know. I'm not trying to be racialized here. But yeah. Um, He's basically known for going on a hunter strike. And he's a trade unionist, a far left politician, and worked in a car factory. He leads the new anti-capitalist party, which a little explanatory what their stance is. Fabien Roussel, the French, of the French communists, they're some sort of hardcore leftist party. Uh, they are probably not going to do much in this election. Then there's a very interesting uh, Christian Taubira, of a party called Walwari. Now, Walwari is a political party based in French Guiana. And correspondingly, Taubira is from French Guiana. She was elected to the National Assembly. And she's known for, for the stereotypical socialist things. Of course, that's in her party's list of ideologies. These and Tabira was drive, was a driving force. It was behind a May 20, 2001 law. That recognized the elected slave trade as a crime against humanity. <clears throat> and outside of Walwari, she's also affiliated with the Radical Party of the Left, which is like a social liberal pro Europe party. Wait, hold Only on. Only a bit more ranting to go. Um, what were you going to say? I was just going to say wait, the
2: social liberal pro European party is called the Radical Party of the Left?
1: Yeah, it is. Okay. I think they're in a Macron's coalition too in Parliament, at least, or French National France Assembly.
2: France is weird.
1: Not quite as weird as we are, <laughs> or maybe I don't know. <laughs> so last there is, Éric Zemmour. Now Éric Zemmour is kind of a weird candidate. He uh, he said he's a far right candidate who started and a television pundit who started his own party called Reconquest or Rifonchit, in French. He's known for opposing immigration. He uh, he thinks that U.S. landing on the beaches of Normandy was too much of a colonization of France, and supports bringing France farther away from United States in the West and more towards Russia. I believe I believe is one of his goals. Uh, also wants to ban foreign names which is about the only other thing i know about him so thomas do you have anything to add to this
2: uh i think it's kind of ironic because some is an algerian
1: jew yeah he has made some previous anti-semitic comments i mean even though he himself is jewish yeah that too <laughs> it is kind of
2: ironic Self-hating Jew, as some folks like to say in the business. Oh, um, I don't consider Judaism a business, but okay. I don't I don't shoot. Now I sound like an anti-Semite. Uh didn't you're mean not, it like that, but you know. <laughs> you're you know not, what you're I
1: fine.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get sued by someone, you know.
1: Or canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean cancelled. It's it's it's, uh, it's irrelevant. I know. I'm kidding. Um, go ahead. Sorry. I know, of course. Yeah.
2: Anyway, uh, he's gonna win again. Macron's gonna win again. It's probably gonna be Macron versus Le Pen. Le Pen's probably gonna lose. Um, probably guess... by not as much as last time, but she'll probably lose by a fair amount. Probably like twelve points or something. Uh, I know that they love to kick their prime ministers out. Sorry, another prime ministers. Well, if they like to kick their prime ministers out too, but. I know the French people like to kick their presidents out. Uh, but Macron, even though he is unpopular, he may be one of the first in a long time to uh, get reelected.
1: I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, Matthew may have been uh, disdained that was the last one to be reelected. But that is, um,
2: I thought it was something uh, I uh, have
1: what's... to research. Maybe it was Sarkozy.
2: Hold on. No, Sar- Sarkozy wasn't reelected. Oh I know okay. that. I think it was Jacques Chirac, maybe.
1: I mean, I do not I
2: want to say Oh it was was, yeah,
1: it was a, it was a Jacques Chirac. The last time he was well yeah it was a, it was you're right, it is Jacques Chirac. But yeah, Jacques Chirac then before that, oh then before that it was Mitterrand, Francois Mitterrand of the Socialist Party, and then uh Valerie Distard D'Stain before that. Okay, so I was two presidents off.
2: <laughs> yeah. But uh, Macron's going to win again. Uh, probably. We'll see. Um, about uh, other things, if he wins very narrowly, then that could be telling of where the country's headed. If he wins by a lot, then he will probably be able to do most of the things he wants. Uh, I could see him if Le Pen barely loses i could see him taking a harder line on islam i mean he's always take he's already taken a much harder line than most folks thought he would when it comes to islam so a lot of folks were surprised by that but
1: uh you know we'll see yeah do you want to do your next story yeah so
2: next story this one is about um, this one is about the Olympics. And you may be wondering, why are we talking about the Olympics? Well, if you don't watch know, to be
1: political, just watch. Look at the chess world.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, if you don't know about, if you don't know um, much about what's going on, there are the Beijing Olympics. And what is interesting about it, or it's just kind of, is there's a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Why, you may ask? Because of the Uyghur genocide. So uh, the U.S. and the U.K. and Lithuania have a diplomatic boycott, which means they aren't sending representatives to Beijing during the Olympics, other some other countries did. Um but um what's weird is China decided to during this whole thing thrust a young Uyghur athlete into us into the spotlight during the Olympics and when the opening ceremony was happening and this placed her at the center of the whole Uyghur controversy so this is all from France 24 a French news source. funny we were just talking about the French um, her name is Dinegir Yulamujang is she an athlete? And or is she yeah a she's Uyghur. a 20 year old cross country skier who has trained for years to fulfill every child's dream star in the Olympics but her prominent smiling appearance is the final Olympic torchbearer on Friday at the Bird's Nest national stadium in front of thousands of spectators across global television screens had clear political overtones and she is a uyghur from xinjiang where the ccp the chinese communist party is accused of committing genocide basically um following her appearance um chinese diplomats shared videos on twitter's tw- twitter's oops uh, twitter of her family clapping As they watch the ceremony on screen, some dabbing tears from their eyes. Now, China has told critics to stop politicizing the Olympics. um, And the whole political thing, besides the whole Uyghur thing, is also because there is a lot of debates about um, speaking out against Hong Kong and Hong Kong situation and Taiwan and Tibet. And just free speech in general. But uh, that's what a whole another different thing going on during this Olympics, about athletes speaking out against the Chinese government. Um, and uh, the IOC, the international Olympic community said that Yila Mujiang's inclusion in the opening ceremony uh, was totally valid and that she had every right to participate and it didn't violate political neutrality. Um, Again, that's something that you can debate or uh, not. You can hold different views on that. Um, But uh, it's been very controversial. Um, Vladimir Putin attended the ceremony. but the U.S., Australia, Britain, Canada didn't go. And... Uh, one million Uyghur Muslims are in reeducation camps, as they call, as the Chinese government calls them, in Xinjiang. And Chinese uh, authorities have been accused of forced sterilization and forced labor, so basically slavery. And yeah, uh, her father was an athlete, and she's been training for a while. But it's unclear how much of this story is true about her being a proud Chinese citizen you know I mean what's the truth here what what has been told by the CCP to make them look better how much of the stuff are they just making up I don't know you know obviously she did appear we know that and we know she's a Uyghur but we don't know the whole situation if you know she was actually like if she's actually like pro-China or she's just you know secretly anti-china and doing this out of um she's just like not speaking out i
1: don't know we'll see but what do you think about this i mean i think there's probably a lot of reasons that they are doing this well one she's probably like one weed you out of like a hundred that actually gets to you know live a normal life two china may be doing this if you look at the metal table the metal table currently they're getting the you know what beat out of them like they're in ninth they're currently on the medal table they're tied for ninth with new zealand in so far like they're i don't think if they stay in that position that i they're probably going to have done the worst of any host country probably ever but um two they're probably i mean including Flexing that you have a weeder in your Olympics when you're actively persecuting Weeders is kind of making it political from the start, you know? <laughs> yeah, but
2: I guess they claim that they aren't they claim that they aren't uh, persecuting
1: Weeders. I know, but still like they're but they also claim that they're not being political either and they when they actively are. So I mean the whole thing's a the whole thing's a train wreck. I mean my social credit score made it down for that, but the thing's a train wreck.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think it did go down, you know.
1: Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
2: know what? I actually just got a message from the president of China saying that you have negative 400 social credit right now.
1: I know, right? It's terrible, dude. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, we'll see
2: what happens with that. I mean, honestly, she may be living a normal life because she, she may have been picked. She's she an athlete. Have, <laughs> yeah, so she may have
1: to with her. You know,
2: they may have thought, you know, an athlete's, you know, putting sending an athlete to a concentration camp's too far. But you know, uh, I don't know. But it's it's weird. Um, the CCP is a really bad organization. Oh, shoot, I lost some social credit there. But, um, CCP's in all reality, the CCP isn't good, and uh, I hope it stops the genocide. And they can become a functioning organization. I mean, obviously, they wouldn't really be the CCP anymore. They'd be whatever, the Chinese. Centrist Party. I'm kidding. Centri- CCP, Chinese Centrist Party.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um,
2: like that. But, you know. But maybe I mean, maybe
1: they'll become, Democrat, we'll become Democratic too. Who knows?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, who knows? I mean, she, I guess she was born in Altai, which is interesting. That's a city where it's Han Chinese who are mostly. They basically, Han Chinese in in uh, Xinjiang, it's basically kind of, basically the government manifested destiny their way there, kind of like how we did in the 1840s with the Oregon Territory. That's actually a good analogy to think about it as. You think about the whole Uyghur situation, it's like uh, the quote-unquote Native American quote-unquote boarding schools that we had back in the 1880s and 1890s. And uh, Canada had all the way up until the 1980s. But uh, they basically did a cultural genocide there, which is why Native Americans... Want, one of many reasons why Native Americans make up less than 2% of the U.S. population, even though they uh, they were the first ones here, you know, in the States. But interestingly, she was from Altai, which is a city where it's Han Chinese and Kazakhs. Kazakhs are the indigenous group. They're actually not Uyghurs. Um, Kazakhs, Maybe. of course... The people of Kazakhstan, but I just think that's interesting that you know she's from Altai Maybe... up
1: north. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Um, and that is the capital of the um, I believe that is the capital of the um is that the capital of the Kazakh autonomous prefecture, or is that yeah. The Altai city of Altai is uh is the capital of the ili kazakh autonomous prefecture in the north of xinjiang which is a quote-unquote autonomous prefecture uh that's supposed to be um autonomously governed by kazakhs but it really isn't
1: yeah i mean that almost makes me think that like china is trying to send somebody who they don't think just a Uyghur as a Uyghur, so they pit her I mean,
2: they're that she's but... a Uyghur. like they're saying like there's this Uyghur woman from this place that doesn't even have that many Uyghurs. Oh, so, okay. you know, it's all Kazakhs. Although if although on the other side, um, they are basically sending a lot of these Kazakhs to concentration camps too. So
1: that honestly
2: <laughs> isn't that surprising, I guess.
1: No, what I was gonna say was maybe they like maybe they like saying she's a Uyghur, but when, when they don't Maybe okay. Here's my thinking: Maybe that they don't think she actually is a Uyghur, but she's a Kazakh because there's so many Kazakhs living there. But in reality, she actually is a Uyghur. But like, I mean by the, accident, the pre- like that's just that's just a weird thought that, I had.
2: I mean, the press is saying that she's a Uyghur,
1: so I know. But maybe China is like maybe China doesn't know that she's a Uyghur, but is trying to dress her up like a Uyghur, even though China thinks she's a Kazakh. If you know what I'm saying. Possible. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Maybe I, I yeah, don't know. Unlikely,
2: uh, but I I see where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, that's I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be conspiratorial here, but it I don't know. You 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 never know with these You, you, you never know with the CCP. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh sorry, sorry, hold
1: on. Uh this my social our social <laughs> tra- score dropped again. I know.
2: Yeah, he told me that the CCP has done nothing wrong. <laughs> there's oh. nothing gone in Western China. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah right he said that that's uh neo-colonialism to (laughs) even suggest that there's anything going wrong in china says that that western imperialist neo-colonialism that's what i heard
1: i mean china's pretty colonialist if you think about it so uh whoa
2: whoa whoa whoa, whoa there buddy
1: (laughs) i know i mean with the whole uh, like you you like lost like
2: Million credits there. <laughs> I
1: know, uh, you, you know, with the whole hard con in Taiwan thing. Yeah, it's uh, whew.
2: yeah, which uh, we all know is not a country, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, funny, funny.
2: <laughs> just made up. It's just a made up place, you know, like a uh, Disneyland, Zootopia. Yeah.
1: yeah, no. It, to be honest, if if we didn't know your actual views on China, you'd be a very convincing major genocide denier, Thomas. <sighs> <laughs> You'd be a very convincing Ouija genocide denier. That's not a good thing. I don't I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, dude. Okay, that, do no, we... that's a terrible thing. That doesn't <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. But yeah. Huh. Interesting.
2: Uh. Anyway. Do you want to oh, so... go ahead? Sorry. By the way, I did find out that there is an East Turkestan
1: government in exile. Oh, that's... Well, I mean, to be fair, Tibet has that nothing's changed there, so <laughs> I'm not sure anything's going to change with the uh, East Turkestan. It's yeah, led
2: <laughs> by a guy named Gulam Osman Yagma Gulum Zulpikar who is a Canadian Uyghur who was born in Artuch, which is in the very western fringes of East Turkestan. Wait a minute. Hold
1: on. Did, the, did a bunch of Canadian Uyghurs just get together and decide to the defor- to form their own government of Uyghurs? Uh, well, it'd be, it'd be Uyghurs
2: from all over the world. Oh, they would, okay. They would claim that they were. They would claim they claimed that their state was illegitimately taken over by the CCP. Kind of like how the old um, Afghan president has a government in exile, but it doesn't even control anything. But yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. this this Uyghur state was originally a interestingly it was a communist state that was a soviet ally which is interesting it was um it was actually up in the north um based in the city of Gulja from 1944 to 1949 and it was a soviet ally and it fought against the um, ROC originally, which is the Republic of China, which became Taiwan, and then also later fought against Mao. I guess they decided that they didn't like him. Um, but there was the first uh, East Turkestan Republic, which was in the South, that was based in Kashgar, and it controlled parts of East Turkestan, but only probably, I don't know, 10% of it. Although Castro is a pretty important city to control. But yeah, uh, it, this was during the Chinese Civil War period, so the Chinese government didn't really have much control of the area. A lot of different times, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah but anyway, do you have anything else to say? No, I don't. Uh, do you want to move on to the last story?
2: Yeah. Get to your story?
1: Yeah, I believe it's our last story of the day. Yeah. Okay, so um, TL, I will try to put TLDR on this. So basically, uh, the French start really mad at Russia for "quote unquote" despoiling the country of Mali in Africa, because Russia uh, or a Russian group called the Wagner Group apparently despoiling it using. It's probably Mali's- the Wagner group. Probably Wagner group is um, yeah uh, using Mali's resources to. Uh, they're using up Mali's resources too much, but the only reason the Mali government is okay with this basically is because Russia is kind of propping up the Huta uh, government. The government takes over after a two in Mali because Mali's had three twos in the course of the last 10 years. And France is kind of pissed about this. It um, is, you know, Russia, of course, Mali has a pretty close relationship with Europe, and of course, was the colonial ties. Atlantic Russia also chased out a Danish contingent of troops that were in Mali. Of course, the main voice behind this is Mali's, I mean, the France's foreign minister, Jean-Yves Le Drain. Uh, he is a relatively center-left dude. He was president of the Regional Council of Brittany. He's from a a political party called Territories in Progress or the Social Reformist Movement of France. or a social liberal and social democratic party who has a 46 seats in the National Assembly. Yeah, um, no, not really. Uh,
2: I mean, it's kind of weird that Mali is, you know, center of another controversy involving Russia because Russia's really had no historical presence in the region. I mean, they never got any African colonies. They tried in the 1890s or 1880s to get some land in the Horn, but that didn't work out. And I think either Italy or France or both of them snatched up the land that Russia wanted. I think it was around the area that's now Djibouti, but I don't remember for certain. Um, be, the area has been closely tied to France forever. It was originally a French colony. It was actually originally called French Sudan. Because that whole area, the whole um, Sahara desert area, the kind of central part of it, was originally called Sudan, which is why even though Mali is very far away from the country of Sudan, it's almost it's probably, I don't know, I don't know how far away it is by miles, but it's, it's probably at least as far away from uh, Sudan as I would guess... Poland is from Western France, which, I mean, that's pretty far away, but um, France has always had a big presence there. I mean, French is spoken in Mali as like the lingua franca. I mean, uh, they have a lot of local languages, and most folks in Mali don't speak it as a native language, but everyone learns it there, and... In- it's used by different ethnic groups to communicate with each other and to communicate with folks in other countries because a lot of the neighboring countries also speak for French and have close ties to French. Places like Niger and Chad and Burkina Faso. But yeah, uh, it's a strange situation. Uh, Mali is a fairly turbulent country, but it may have some decent uh, resources. It probably does, to be honest. So probably could get rich at some point. I mean, obviously, the most famous uh, person from Mali was Mansa Musa, who was the ruler of the Mali Empire uh, 800 or something years ago. And he was so rich that he made gold worthless. He was the richest man to ever live. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens here. It's probably something like a broken record there, but we just really don't know with stuff like this.
1: Yeah. Anything else? No, not really. Do
2: you want to wrap this up? Yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, please listen to our podcast. Listen to our other episodes if you want to. And uh, whoa, hold on. I think uh, I think Trump got back on the line for some reason.
0: Order. Hold on. I just want to interrupt this podcast, and I just want to say that these stories were stupid. You guys are frauds. I don't want to listen to this podcast any more times, and I am never, ever, ever coming back on this podcast. You guys are almost as bad as Mike Pence.
2: Wow. That's that's not a great way to end this, you know, but uh, if I don't know if you'll agree with Trump on that one or not, but uh, if you don't, please like and share this podcast, and any support is appreciated. Uh, we're on basically every podcasting platform. And we have an Instagram at TWI12404, so follow that. And, and the, subreddit.
1: Some... Our yeah, the subreddit. Yeah, the subreddit. I need to update it, but it'll come.
2: Yeah, and uh, sh- be on lookout for episode one of Wacky Ideas. That should
1: be coming out soon. Oh, okay. I'll yeah. see you around. Yeah, see ya.